the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Military City USA Radio is sponsored by FCA Alamo Chapter. Stay tuned as Mark Fry of Alamo FCA and retired Air Force Colonel Kelly Crooks salute the leaders of the U.S. military's missions in San Antonio. The views of the guests and hosts are their own and not those of Salem Communications. Good morning and welcome to the FCA Military City USA radio show on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, where we celebrate and salute all things military here in San Antonio, Texas. I'm retired Air Force Colonel Kelly Crooks, Executive Director of the American Undersea Warfare Center in Galveston, Texas. I'm a proud Alamo FCA member. And my co-host is the flag bearer of our show. He never takes a knee, Mr. Mark Fry of Alamo FC. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Kelly. You're right. So, You're right. Yeah, I don't. No, you don't. Hey, you know, uh, we got some big games coming up. Ohio State's playing Rutgers tonight at 630. Uh, I was reading on the, on the web that uh, Urban Meyer's been talking to his team on what to do. So all the colleges are now in the, the big discussion. Uh, TTU has a big game against number 15 Oklahoma State tonight, 7.30, so guns up. That's for Kelly and Kira. And uh, Texas already played, so they won. Hey, you know, we're talking about the, the standing and the kneeling. I just want to have a quick rant, and that is a message to the NFL. Hey, NFL, stand for the flag. Don't kneel, then stand. You know, some of them were talking about kneeling, then standing, then kneeling, then standing, and doing a hokey pokey. You might pull a muscle. Just stand. Not because you feel us leaving and don't expect us to return this year. I know I don't miss it. I'm not going to watch NFL this year. But stand because it is the right thing to do. Don't talk about doing it. Just do it. If you can't do it for yourself because your millionaire rights have been so violated, then just do it for the tens of thousands of veterans who fought for your right to kneel but now can't stand for themselves for that flag. Stand for them. Period. And I think that's relevant today. Because our guest today is Army Sergeant Retired Tony, uh, nicknamed Sarge Doyle, who is the personification of a wounded warrior. We'll be talking about his Army career, uh, how he got over his incident, and what he's doing today to give back to his community. So if you have friends or family who'd like to hear the show, call them, text them, go to www.militarycityusaradio.org. Or tell them to tune in to 9.30 a.m. The Answer. So, uh, real quick, before Mark asks his question, Sarge, how many other Sarge nicknames have you run into in the uh, in the Army? Nicknamed Sarge. <laughs> the nicknames, I'm not sure, but uh, there was a lot of people that got called Sarge. I know that. Yeah, um, you must have been turning around. You must have been looking around going, hey, you know, me, 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 me. <laughs> well, I always told myself I'd never go by the name Sarge, uh, just because I, I had felt that I had earned the rank Sergeant. And then, uh, you know, one day one of the kids out at the camp called me Sarge, and it's just stuck from there. So yeah. no change in that now. It's out of love. It's out of love. Yes, it is. Go ahead, Mark. 
All right. So, Tony, let's start at the beginning. Uh, uh, what's your hometown? Where'd you go to school? And then how did you come to join the Army? Well, Mark, I grew up way up north in Illinois, a little town called Jacksonville, which is about 33 miles straight west of Springfield, and um, went to high school uh, at Jacksonville High School, um, graduated and went straight into the military after graduation, uh, left July the 11th of, 2000 and, or of 1999, I'm sorry, um, for the military, went off to basic training at Fort Knox. Um, got to Fort Knox, uh, spent about four years there, actually, uh, after basic training uh, with the ground mobility division there, uh, schoolhouse-type stuff. So uh, got to see all the new trainees coming through doing their uh, Hotel 8 recovery training. Um, from there, I went and spent a year in Korea um, with uh, a field artillery battery um, in uh, near Weijangbu at Camp Stanley. Okay, so I have to ask, because my wife's Korean, how did you like Korea? I loved Korea. Um, the people there were great. Uh, I really enjoyed the, the hospitality, um, and I really enjoyed speaking with the, with the older generation of Koreans. The younger ones didn't pay too much attention to us. They were a little more um, anti-military establishment, I guess. Um, but uh, I really enjoyed the, uh, the older generation um, that were that were living more through the Korean War era. I uh, really enjoyed talking to them and, and, and just getting to know them as people. So even uh, uh, Kelly, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to continue on with the with the assignments and things. Uh, you know, after after Korea, uh, what kind of jobs did you have? Well, after Korea, uh, I, I came off of my active duty enlistment and and went National Guard. Uh, I joined uh, an infantry unit, so I changed my MOS from maintenance to infantry and uh, was with Charlie Company 2nd 130th uh, up in Illinois. So and you were part... Go, well, go when ahead, you, when you went to When you went to uh, the Guard, you know, I know a lot of people do that. They go back and forth between the Guard and active duty. What are some of the things in your head that, that you're thinking about... Um, that make you want to go from one to the other? Was it a family situation? You want to go to school, uh, promote, promote uh, you know, your, your education or your professional skills? Well, Kelly, it was, it was a family situation. Um, I was uh, going through a divorce at the time and uh, wanted to find a way to continue my military career but also be close to my children. So uh, I figured the Guard was the best way to go. So I joined the Guard and... Uh, Fairly quickly, did you, feel, was, did you feel the same kind or level of of you know, active duty to guard patriotism of mission of you know? Did you feel the same as you went from active back to the guard? I felt very much the same um, in, in within in, within myself. Um, I know that um, I'm a very patriotic person, and uh, but I wasn't always that way. Uh, the military changed me. Um, you know, I, I began my life really kind of centered on self. And me, 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 me. And then after joining the military, uh, getting the discipline that you get when you when you're military, I really, I really kind of felt that uh, that you know yearning for for country and you know duty, honor, country kind of kind of feeling within myself. And I felt that uh, even when I changed to the National Guard, I was still doing my duty. 
um, as a as a citizen of the United States, and uh, I really felt like uh, that was something that uh, that followed with me off of active duty into the National Guard. Describe, Tony. Uh, describe again for our listeners. Okay, you were in active duty Army, then you were in the Guard. But what what did you do? Describe so, describe your 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 job. Okay, so when I was active duty, I was. Um, my MOS was a 63 Mike, which is uh, Bradley Systems Maintainer. They had actually changed that from the 63 Tango series, which was just the hull, and they added the turret school to it, so they changed the identifier to the 63 Mike. So that became Bradley Systems Maintainer. So I was a Bradley mechanic, essentially diesel mechanic and things like that. Um, I did eventually, uh, because of promotion opportunities, change my MOS to 63 Yankee, which is simply just a track vehicle mechanic. Um, so it's a more broad spectrum. I could, I could work on anything track, um, and I've worked on anything from Abrams, uh, M88 uh, recovery vehicles, um, the 113 troop carriers and things like that. So I've, I've done a little bit of everything, uh, as well as wheel mechanic as well. So can you change the oil in your car? I can, but I don't prefer to. <laughs> it takes a little more to get underneath the car. With, yeah, with no, no, no. I understand. I just, I just meant that as a, uh, you know, describe for our listeners. Uh, I mean, how complex are those uh, machines? The machines are very complex, and and you and you essentially need to be a contortionist to get into some of these places. The uh, the multi launch rocket system that I worked on over in Korea is one of the most beautiful mechanical systems that I've ever worked on, but it is also the most hardest. It's the hardest thing to get into um, to do some of the smaller things. Um, when you get in there, you, you, you're hanging upside down. You're trying to, to hold nuts and bolts that are, that are really small. Um, and you're trying to keep them from and dropping. And gravity hasn't gone away. No, gravity does not go away. The um, you know as you're hanging there and you drop the the smallest washer that is a, 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 still an essential piece of that machine. You know, and it took you ten minutes to get inside there to to drop that washer. You know, you you essentially have to to go get that washer. Take ten minutes getting back out. Go get the washer. Take another ten minutes getting back in, because it is an essential piece to that. But it is it is, it is a beautiful machine, and and diesel mechanics have have come so far, um, and it was just it was a, a great experience to be a diesel mechanic in the army. Kelly, yeah. So so uh, you went in the guard, and you're doing all this great work. Uh, were you in the guard when you deployed? Yes, I was activated. Um, uh, Army National Guard out of Illinois, and uh, we were sent. Uh, the general of our of our unit um, decided to jump on with uh, a deployment going out of Fort Stewart, Georgia, with the Third Infantry Division, and so we deployed with the 48th Brigade Combat Team out of Fort Stewart with the Third Infantry Division. And, and and at that time, and this was in 2005. 2005, yes. 2005. And uh, at the time, the CPA and the people about you know in Iraq, you had the the CPA with Admiral or Ambassador Bremer. They were on their way out. You had the military people coming in, 
and I think a lot of the senior officers were kind of going, okay, we got to get involved with this thing uh, and get things settled down. Uh, got a little bit wild west over there, and uh, so you and I, you know, we deployed to, around Baghdad, I guess, is what I read. Yes. Uh, you and I was there in the summer of '05. You were there in the summer of '05. Maybe we uh, exchanged salutes or or at l- lunch at the Baghdad mess there. Um, that's, so that's I didn't a know if you knew that. possibility. I did not know that actually, but uh, very small Sticky world. The, uh, in Phoenix Six, so went to the MOD and walked around Baghdad. Uh, you know, were you on the airport? You were in the Baghdad Green Zone. Uh, we were uh, Camp Liberty, oh, Camp Victory kind of area. We um, um, worked out of that area. Yeah, so we were back and forth. Uh, so you know, salute you again there. We probably did that. My question, uh, I, w- I want to get your thoughts as you went into to Iraq and uh, we're doing the, the, the guarding and the mentoring and the things that you were doing, and we'll, we'll talk about a little bit about that, but to, to validate some of the thoughts and impressions I've had uh, of the host nation's soldiers, the populace, I thought self-preservation was a large part of how they conducted themselves and what they thought and how they acted uh, based on the, you know, the last 25 years of their lives was was like always watching out for everything. Uh, what, what were your thoughts of not only what you were going into uh, there and what you were there to do and then what you found as far as the host nation? Well, going into everything, um, you know, you, you really you want to have that, that really gung-ho infantry mentality. But, you know, deep down inside, you know, you go in there, um, and, you know, I was a 25-year-old kid, basically, and uh, I, I went in there, and you know, I was scared. You know, I didn't know what to expect. You know, I had seen the news. I, I knew what was going on in the news over in Iraq, and I and I knew, you know, we were we were losing guys to, to IEDs and, and rocket attacks and mortars and things. So, you know, I, I had that in the back of my mind of, you know, you know what's what's going to happen you know what what how am i going to end up when i get there but you know it's it's one of those things where you go in and you you have a job you have orders you follow your orders and you and you go about your your business and taking care of what you need to do the uh um, let training kick in and, and do your thing yeah let the training take over and uh and get you where you need to go but uh i i really i really enjoyed you know the people the the dynamic of of trying to to figure out who's with you and who is not, and then trying to uh, trying to decipher, you know, where can we go with this? Is this good information? Is this is this information that I need to be wary about? Do I need to watch this guy, or is this guy one of the guys that are on our team? Um, you know, so that dynamic kind of made things really interesting, um, but uh, but it also made it really complicated as well. Go ahead, Mark. All right, so, Tony, we're going to go to break here in about 30 seconds. Um, but uh, just very quickly, um, we're going to talk about kind of your incident and recovery when we come back. But what was the day like when you got injured? The day was just a, just a normal day, um, I guess if you can say that. You know, I got up and uh, got ready for my patrol, got my gear on. I uh, went through the same ritual just as if I was, uh, you know, uh, 
a football player, you know, you you have those pregame rituals. You do the same thing. You put your body on or armor on in the same way every time because it's lucky, or you you know you you uh, you get your ammo ready the same way because it's lucky, and that's that's what's going to get you home. So it's just a typical day. All right. Well, hold that thought. And it's time for the first Alamo FC a break on Military City USA Radio. I'm Mark Fry of UTech and Alamo FC. My co-host is retired Air Force Colonel Kelly Crooks of the American Undersea Warfare Center and Alamo FC. We're interviewing Army Sergeant retired Tony Doyle. And uh, uh, so stay tuned. Don't touch that web browser or your radio dial. We'll be right back. The Alamo AFCA ACE event is back for 2017 with a theme focused on professional engagement, collaboration, innovation, integration. ACE 17 will build on our strong commitment to provide an exceptional program of speakers, panelists, and keynotes. Returning to the hill country setting of the La Cantera Resort in San Antonio, ACE begins Monday, November 13th with a golf tourney where proceeds go to wounded warriors and military families. The next two days focus on speakers and panels. Thursday, ACE brings back the popular Acquisition Day where industry can hear from government acquisition experts. This year, we have an added attraction for industry as the Defense Health Agency, or DHA, will piggyback on ACE with Industry Day events the 16th and 17th. Vendor exhibit hall space and sponsorships are still available, and registration is open now. And admission is free for military and government GS employees. You can see us at alamoace.org, and we will see you November 13th for ACE 2017. Hi, I'm John Mitzel, the president of the Garden Ridge Lion Club, and I'd like to give a shout-out to all the Lions who are retired military, active-duty military, civilians for serving both the Lions and our nation. And you are listening to the AFCA Military City USA radio show on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Hi, this is Rick Lipsy, president of Alamo AFCA, and you're listening to the AFCA Military City USA radio show on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. And welcome back to the AFCA Military City USA radio show on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. It's time for Shout Out. Shout Out. Shout Out. Shout Out. Yeah, it first, is. First, I, I, I just got one, and that is, uh, you know, there is a, uh, like, like Big AFCA in Washington, D.C. area, with all the different chapters, uh, there's a historic Naval Ships Association that's kind of over all the naval museums, and they've had their conference this week, and last night they had their award ceremony, and I was proud to say that the American Undersea Warfare Center won three awards, so, you know, big congratulations to our award winners, and, uh, and, the fact that we shine there and amongst all the all the museums, and I thought that was a big a big big result for us. That's two years in a row we've won some great awards. So, must be doing some good things, our folks here. So, Kelly, what do you do with the? I mean, those are individual awards, correct? Correct. Okay. So that on the back for those guys who won. Yeah, good. All right. So, uh, I want to give a shout out to our regular listeners, and hopefully we have a new listener this week named Bryant, who I spent time talking to uh, this week. So, Bryant, if you're listening, uh, uh, shout out to you. And Jim Holland, you know who Bryant is. 
recently retired from the Office of Economic Adjustment. Also want to give a shout out to all of our uh, other new listeners who I've spoken to this week. Um, it is just a pleasure to have everybody join, and we hope you'll keep listening as well as our regular listeners. So, Tony, who do you want to give a shout-out to? I would like to give a shout-out to... Just go, go. Um, hi, my name is Tony Doyle. I'm a sergeant retired from the United States Army. I am with the Texas Lions Camp. And I would love to give a shout-out to my wife, who is a lion, and all the lions down here in Texas for doing great work with the Texas Lions Camp and keeping us running and keeping those campers happy and going all summer long. All right, so we are joined in studio this morning by a new addition to Alamo FCA, Bev Fulgencio, who in her day job is an Air Force captain at Headquarters Air Education and Training Command. Good morning, Bev. Good morning. All right, so uh, describe to our listeners briefly what role you'll be playing in Alamo FCA. I am part of the publicity team. I've just joined about two weeks ago. Shout out to Samoy out there. And uh, right now, if you, if our listeners hear a little clicking from a camera, that's me taking pictures behind the scenes, and hopefully we can post that to the website. Click, click. So who do you want to give a shout-out to? I'd love to give a shout-out to my tall, dark, and handsome husband, Silviano, and our beautiful son, who just turned five months yesterday. His name is Silviano as well. All right, so, Bev, you understand that part of the deal when you're, when you're on the Alamo FCA publicity team, uh, not only will we have you as a guest on the radio show to talk about what you do in the Air Force, but we'll shamelessly promote Alamo FCA. And uh, we've already had the spot for the ACE. Anything you want to say about the ACE and encourage people to come? Oh, we always post new things about the ACE on our Facebook page. And and so you got a Facebook page. And is it also on the website? It is also on the website where you can register and find out about our vendors and the guest speakers and classes. And the URL is? The URL is? Uh, AlamoFCA.org. And so the um, uh, Alamo FCA is all uh, all over social media. They're on LinkedIn. They're on Facebook. They're on Twitter, and so it's it, it's hard to miss. So well, Excellent. welcome, welcome, Bev. Thank you. And uh, actually, we're going to go back to Tony. But I, uh, while we're talking about lions, and we'll be talking about lions during the the uh, next segment. Just want to remind all the listeners that the annual Garden Ridge Lions Club Fish Fry Barbecue and Auction is next Saturday at the Garden Ridge Community Center. And uh, we start serving food at 3.30. Uh, It's $10 for adults, $5 for kids. It's a huge plate of food. Uh, The fish is especially good, but we also have brisket and all the trimmings. We have a live auction, a silent auction. We sell raffle tickets so come on out all right tony before we talk about your role in lions you were having a pretty normal day in iraq and so uh, you know for our listeners who may not have had that experience describe what's a patrol like and and what was that day like okay and so what was the day okay so the day was August 9th of 2005. 
and you wake up many hours earlier than what you really need to before you head out on patrol because there's hours of waiting that you need to do after your several minutes of preparation. <laughs> so, uh, you know, typical... So it's hurry up and wait. Typical military hurry up and yeah. wait day. Um, but uh, so we we got ready. We got all our gear ready. We got the Humvees loaded. We, we went into uh, all of our briefings, the safety briefings, convoy briefings, movement briefings, um, got our orders, figured out where we were heading, um, and... And, and just finished our final preparations for getting ready to go. Made sure we had all the ammo we needed just in case um, we got caught in a, in a firefight or anything like that. Um, extra MREs in case we're out there later than, than normal. You know, everything that you would do to prep uh, for, a, for a typical day in, in Iraq, which is, is pretty chaotic uh, no matter what. Um, but we got ready, uh, loaded the Humvees up, and, and then we, we headed out on patrol. Um, outside the wire and uh, we passed the we passed the line and as soon as we passed that line we locked and loaded and and we were we were in the zone and and ready to go with uh, the typical operations you know you get you get ready you get out there you your your senses are heightened now even more than what they what they are on on the fob on the forward operating base and you and you you know you start scanning your lane so to speak and how, what was your role in yeah. the Humvee or in the in the convoy? Were you a top gunner? Are you inside sides or? We we were. Uh, I was in the lead vehicle uh, of our of our three truck team, um, and uh, I was the dismount. So I was I was the passenger directly behind the driver, um, and and my role was to if we would do a a traffic stop. Um, just while we were rolling, we see something we didn't like, something a little suspicious. We'd pull the vehicle over, we'd stop him, and I would be the guy to jump out and and jump in front of the vehicle, so to speak, and and slow them down and get them to stop, so that we could search the vehicle, uh, make sure that uh, any military age males were were doing what they were supposed to do and didn't have too many cell phones or you know nothing out of the ordinary was going on. Didn't have any weapons that they weren't supposed to have. Um, and things like that, because you know, as a family, each each household could have one weapon and one one magazine. But uh, if you're out in in the general public area, driving around, you know those weapons were were not supposed to be with you. So we would check those uh, vehicles out that look suspicious, and and just kind of kind of uh, as we call it, presence patrol, make our presence known in the community. Uh, that uh, you know we're here. We're we're trying to to keep you guys safe, make things uh, better for you, and give you uh, a safer place to live. Did you learn any phrases because you were out there in the front talking? Uh, that were the key phrases that you needed to say. Let's say in Farsi or, or uh, Arabic. I I didn't get I didn't get a chance to learn a whole lot. Um, I was really only in country about two and a half months, so it was very quick. Um, before I was um, before I was injured and, and left, um, so I I really didn't get the chance to to sit down with the translators and the interpreters and 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 learn a whole lot. Um, um, and like I said, my role was more mainly stopping the vehicle. Once the vehicle was stopped, um, the interpreter would get out and uh, whoever was in charge of the convoy would get out and then question those. Um, and at that point, I would take over with security. Um, so I, 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 
initiated the contact but didn't really do a whole lot of the of the talking and, and interrogating of the of the subjects you were just a big guy looking intimidating <laughs> yeah that I, that was your role i would jump out of the humvee and hope i didn't get run over yeah there so. you go <laughs> okay so i already know that 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 when it comes to the accident you 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 don't recall that so we're gonna we're gonna skip to hmm. what was your first memory afterwards my my first memory afterwards was the intense pain i i felt this intense pain uh i didn't know what was going on um uh, right prior to this i remembered the our, our truck commander was the first sergeant he yelled, look out look out look out and the next thing i know uh he, here's this pain um so i didn't know what was going on i started to to kind of come to and kind of get my senses and wits back and I noticed that that I was laying on the ground and at that point I knew I was once in the truck and now I'm on the ground so something's not good here Uh, so at that point um, trying to put pain aside adrenaline starts pumping um, you know it, it goes through the roof and the first thing I thought was where's my weapon um you know anybody who's military knows that your weapons no never more than than arm's length away um but at this point my comfort my my blankie so to speak was is is gone now i i'm outside the vehicle i'm outside our humvee and i can't find my weapon so um a little bit of panic goes on there um but uh, luckily, we had a, a Bradley unit that was very close by um, and doing their operations. And I began to, as I began to look for my weapon, I saw uh, a 360-degree perimeter getting set up by this Bradley unit. Uh, so I began to calm down just a little bit. Um, at that point, I, I looked towards the other Humvees uh, that were in our convoy, the other two trucks, and I saw Doc Ippolito running towards me doc ipolito was our medic on 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 the convoy um at that point i really began to relax and and uh at that point kind of accepted the fate that uh that had been thrust upon me dropped upon me i guess you could say um and and at that point you know training kicked back in so what did i do i as a military guy i i reached for a cigarette because Doc's got it under control, and I got the cigarette as far as my lips, and Doc slapped it out of my hands. He's like, I'm not going to allow you to do that. I've got to give you morphine, and that's going to drop your blood pressure too much. So I was like, Doc, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trapped here. My my leg is underneath the Humvee at this point, um, and I don't know the extent of my injuries. Uh, I do know it hurts. Uh, I, there's no way to describe the pain, but it's the absolute worst pain that I've ever felt in my entire life. Um, you know, just knowing that that my leg was underneath the Humvee, and it's an up-armored Humvee, so it's not it's not one of the lightweight ones. Not that they're lightweight anyway. But uh, so at this point, um, Doc begins literally digging with his bare hands underneath the Humvee to get. The tourniquet on my leg, uh, because at this point, uh, you know, bleeding and and th- these are all factors that come into play. He he pulls, gets the gets the tourniquet on, uh, is pulling dirt out, and at this point, I'm really trapped, kind of in an awkward 
awkward position because I've got all my body armor on. My body's kind of contorted. The bottom half of my body is contorted and twisted to the left, and the top half of my body is twisted more towards the right. And then I've got body armor on, which is kind of propping me up in a very, very uncomfortable um, position. Uh, at this point, they proceeded to, uh, I, I carried a very large uh, combat-type knife uh, on me, uh, just in case the possibility of hand-to-hand came into play. They used that knife to, to then cut my armor off, my body armor off, so that I could put me in a, in a more comfortable position and, and tend to me medically. Um, the the really cool thing about that is is when, when I got back home, that knife was returned to me and is now in a display case in my house. But um, we got to a point where they were digging underneath the Humvee to try to relieve pressure and figure out how to get me out. And as they stopped digging, and first sergeant came around the Humvee, and I heard, why'd you guys stop digging? And I overheard that. I don't think I was supposed to hear this, but I overheard top. We can't tell what's his leg and what's the ground. So at that point, I knew it was bad and uh, didn't didn't really know what to do from there. But I knew once they got me out from under the Humvee, if I looked at my leg, that could throw me into shock, which can kill me just as just as quick as blood loss. So as they eventually did pull me out from underneath the Humvee. Um, and they used a Bradley to pull it up. It did drag me underneath the Humvee a little bit. They didn't hook up straight. So when you when you hook up at an angle, it's going to drag you straight and then lift. Um, but they began to land the helicopter, and they began calling for a, a VS-17 panel, which is a visual signal panel uh, used for landing helicopters. And they're, as they're running down the line asking for a, a, a VS-17 panel, I happened when I got into country, I just happened to cut one in half and place it behind my body armor just in case I ever needed it. Um, we needed it, so I, laying underneath the Humvee, I pulled my, my body armor open and, and gave them my VS-17 panel to land the, the medevac helicopter. And... Uh, they actually ended up signing a, a VS-17 panel. The the entire unit did, and sent it to me while I was at Walter Reed. But yeah. I had left Walter Reed um, before the panel got there. So they got so the so the helicopter comes, and then you go to a field hospital first. I go to uh, Balad, Balad a field hospital right. in Balad. Yes, um, and. I don't remember a whole lot from that. Uh, I was uh, heavily medicated on morphine at this point. But I remember going in and kind of getting that typical emergency room. Are you on any medications? Are you allergic to anything? And and then the next thing that I I know, they're saying, okay, count backwards from 10. Uh, And I start counting backwards. And the next thing I remember is waking up in a a recovery tent and uh, looking down. Uh, looking around, the the tent is almost empty. There's one other personnel in, in the tent. And I look down, and where there used to be two lumps under the blankets, there's one. Um, so I put two and two together and kind of figured out that uh, they had to amputate my left leg above the knee. So, so Sarge, the, uh, 
Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, okay. So um, in, in all of this, it sounds like, you know, the training was really deep on everybody's part. You're, you're into it. Uh, and then you're in and out because of, of morphine or other, of other sedatives uh, for pain. What, what was your first thoughts about other people in your life? And what kind of thoughts were those? You know, your uh, family, um, friends, uh, you know, people on your team, how are they doing, all that stuff. Well, Kelly, I'm going to tell Sarge to hold that thought Wait, because it is time for another Alamo FCA break here on Military City USA Radio on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Mark Fry of Alamo FCA. My co-host is retired Air Force Colonel Kelly Crooks of the American Undersea Warfare Center in Galveston and Alamo FCA. We're interviewing Tony Doyle and talking about the incident he had in Iraq and his recovery. So don't touch that web browser or your radio dial. We'll be right back. The Alamo FCA chapter is proud to support the military men and women of San Antonio during times of career advancement and transition. We focus on the missions that make up the core of this community, cybersecurity and information assurance, intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance, medical IT and education and training. In this era of rapidly changing complex technologies, AFSEA offers regular training and professional certification courses to support our active duty members, as well as a wide range of mentoring and networking opportunities to help you reach the next rung in your career, whether you're in uniform or in the private sector. Ready to move forward? Find out more at www.alamoafsea.org. Hi, I'm Rick Kreider. I'm the Executive Vice President at Port San Antonio. I want to give a shout-out to the Operations Support Squadron at Kelly Field, the men and women that operate the tower and keep the airfield opening. You are listening to the AFSEA Military City USA radio show on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Hello, this is Gary Sinise. You're listening to Military City USA radio. You are listening to the AFSEA Military City USA radio show on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Come check us out on militarycityusaradio.org, on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. And... This morning we have a special guest. We got Army Sergeant Retired Tony Sarge Doyle, and we're talking about his time in Iraq. And uh, I, I do have to ask you, or I've got a couple, couple questions, and that is, you know, we, I was asking a question about your first thoughts of other folks, how they are, because you know, the training kicks in at first, and then you got the medical issues, and you got to worry about what's going on with you. There is a moment in which you kind of say, "Oh, there's a bigger world, and I'm still in it." What, what was that kind of transition or those thoughts? Well, the thoughts about my team, that came that came pretty quickly and fairly easily um, as most of the guys in the team were tending to me. Uh, so, you know, I could I could get with them and ask, you know, are you good? You okay? And, and they were all good. Um, the rest of everybody else was just kind of bumps and bruises. Um, I was the only major injury, which, uh, which is – I would consider a good thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of good guys out there. So, uh, you know, um, if I could take a if I could take a hit for them, you know, I will, um, and that kind of stuff. And then everything else, you know, happens so fast, and and everything when they when they put me on the chopper, I kind of I don't know if it was the morphine or what, but I kind of did this ridiculous kind of uh, thumbs up as they carried me to the chopper, as if I was an injured. Uh, player on a field and uh, it was being carted off and was trying to tell the fans I was okay. Um, 
I didn't get a chance to think about my family um, uh, due to the kind of the morphine haze and thing uh, things on the chopper and uh, all the questions that I was being asked until I was actually in the recovery tent um, and realized that uh, I had missed the call that I normally made every day to my wife and uh, and then at that point I knew she would be uh, you know beside herself trying to figure out what it was because I would not you know rain or shine I would literally call her every day to let her know you know I made it in for mission we're good I'm okay um, and everything so um, I knew she would absolutely be beside herself the problem was is I she had just gotten a new cell phone I didn't have the the cell phone number memorized at this point and all that stuff that you have wrote down, any kind of personal information, you leave back in your room when you go outside the wire uh, because you don't want that to, that kind of stuff to fall in enemy hands and then be able to use that against you in some way. Um, so the only number that I did have memorized was my uncle's number. Now, I'll remind all the listeners that this happened on August 9th of 2005. August 9th also happens to be my uncle's birthday. So I had to call my uncle on his birthday to let him know his nephew's been wounded, and I need him to call my wife and let her know. So um, so it's kind of like, happy birthday, Uncle Richard. Uh, I, I've been wounded in Iraq. Can you call Melissa and let her know I'm, I'm wounded but okay? Um, so... So it was it was a little while afterwards that uh that I was able to uh to focus my thoughts onto onto family members and how they were uh accepting things or or uh coming to terms with things, you know, like the the missed phone call and things like that. So yeah, so it's it's been uh you know 2005 to to today is about a dozen years. So I know we want to talk about you know the house and and some of those programs that you've been involved in. You want to you want to talk about um, give a good sense of the the time from '05. You're coming back. You're you're through rehabilitation and and today where you're really out there leading a great uh, you know great efforts in supporting your fellow veterans. Working Lions Club. Your life is is on the you know doing great. What, give a good summary of of that. Well, um, it started off kind of not so good. I, I came back, and of course, you know, I, I, I'm missing pieces and 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 things literally. And uh, so I came back, and for the first three years, I was in a really deep depression, and uh, I, I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't get myself off the couch. Really, I couldn't get myself out of the house, things like that. Uh, but in 2008, we moved down to Texas, down here to San Antonio. I went through some surgeries and some recovery stuff at the uh, Center for the Intrepid at Brook Army Medical Center. And uh, that's kind of where things turned around and started to change. Um, I started getting involved with military organizations and nonprofits that really wanted to help uh, veterans who were coming back that were severely wounded. Um, so I turned my depression into a positive, you know, so to speak. So instead of sitting around going, oh, poor, pitiful me, um, now I can turn it around into, okay, well, what can I do to help and show you that, you know, we're not coming back as broken as, as what we may feel sometimes, you know, and it just takes a little bit of an attitude adjustment, and and you can, you can really turn things around and be positive. And so when you were at the uh, 
Center for the Intrepid, <clears throat> I'm, I'm assuming you also became familiar with the Warrior and Family Support Center. Yes, I did. And Judith Markell's and all the great work that she and her volunteers do. Yes. Um, I don't recall the names, but uh, yeah. you know, tra- traumatic brain injuries. There, you, there know. you go. So, but um, eventually we, we had heard about uh, an organization called Homes for Our Troops. Uh, we applied for for uh, a home through them and uh, went through the selection process and conference and everything, and uh, we just received our home July the 8th. It's a fully handicap-accessible, mortgage-free home. There's a, over 40 different adaptations that they've done to the house to make it to where I can you know, live comfortably um, in a wheelchair, on a prosthetic, crutches. Uh, they've, they've really kind of thought of everything. Uh, when it comes to the house and and actually i know you have a prosthetic but uh i, I haven't seen it yet and because you 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 actually do just fine without it yeah there's i would like to get back into a prosthetic uh, i've had a lot of issues uh since my last surgery in 2009 so it's been a long time that i've been out of my prosthetic uh, i've been in and out of it uh several times in those years trying to get things right it just hasn't worked out very well all right, so I'd be remiss if I didn't describe to our listeners, Tony is wearing a purple shirt uh, with white embroidery, Tony Doyle District 2 S3 on the one side, and then Texas Lions Camp elected director. So that's kind of your focus and passion today. Describe the Texas Lions Camp and what you do there. So in 2012, uh, I discovered the Texas Lions Camp as a counselor. I worked out there for four years uh, as a bunkhouse staff, so general counselor, just taking care of the kids, and also as the archery instructor. You know, being military, we like to shoot things, and we like to teach people to shoot things. So um, when I found this camp, it's a camp for children who have physical disabilities, Down syndrome, type 1 diabetes, and it's just a place where that they where they can go and have a summer camp experience that they wouldn't normally get um, at no cost to them. And it's at no cost to the families. Um, so, kind of the mission of Texas Lions Camp is to provide that summer camping experience at no charge to the families. But what we want to do is we want to instill the can-do philosophy into these children. The can-do philosophy is a philosophy where it doesn't matter what you think or what society thinks your limitations may be physically. You can do anything that you put your mind to. Um, we take kids out there who are bilateral amputees. They, are, they have lost both legs above the knees, and they want to climb a rock wall. Well, guess what? We don't tell them they can't climb a rock wall because they don't have legs. We put them on that rock wall, and we have them climb to the top and ring the bell. So we give that can-do philosophy. We build their self-esteem, and we get them out there to where they know that when they grow up and they get out in the world, they can accomplish any mission that they, that they want. So to quickly tie it back to your life, at the beginning of the show, you indicated that before you joined the Army, you really had a totally different attitude about things. The kids, before they go to the Texas Lions camp, I, I presume many of them kind of have a different attitude than they have when they leave the camp. So you're able to personally relate in many ways to those kids. Yes, I am. Um, you know, and right after my injury... You know, I, I had a lot of fear. I had a lot of um, anxieties about different things, 
you know, I'll, uh, you know, I'm not going to be able to run anymore. I can't walk right or, you know, different things like that. Um, and the first year that I worked at camp, you know, I looked around and I saw these children that have been dealing with their physical disability um, all their lives. And some of these kids are 16 years, 16 years old and 15 years old. So that's more than half the time that I had been dealing with my disability at the time. So I actually learned from these children as well. Um, I learned quite a bit about attitude. And um, my time in the military and the discipline that I had kind of allowed me to take their attitudes and and mold it kind of into my own attitude and change things about myself and kind of and learn to learn to give back versus you know everything being about me 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 you know now I can now I can focus on them 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 so that they can go out and change the world Kelly Well you had a high school teacher in this area you you mentioned Jim Rahey I guess he kicked your backside to get through school, and, and uh, that was your motivation to help get through high school. And, and, I, and I read that, uh, unless it's changed, that you want to get a, a master's in history or, and be a, a teacher yourself. And being a former teacher, what's your, you know, to motivate your students, what's your favorite teaching method that, uh, for your future students? Well, things have kind of changed a little bit. Um, and I'm kind of at a at a crossroads where I'm not sure what I want to do. I still kind of want to be a teacher. I want to get that degree. Um, and Jim Ray is a big part of that. Um, he he taught out of Illinois. He was my agriculture teacher. But it's it's that it's the fact that Jim was always he was upfront with me. He looked me in the eye. You know, he told me how it was, and and he he just really he made it a point to make me understand. That, that life's not always fair, but that's all right, you know. So, you know, I really want to get to a point where I can, you know, give it to people straight. You know, hey, life may not be fair, but that's okay. You can still go out and you can take advantage of the opportunities that you have. Um, so I guess my teaching method would be kind of that in-your-face, you know, here's the truth, and then this is the way life works. Um so go out and go out and grab your dreams. I think the kids need you. So uh, think hard about that, and and uh, you know, be a teacher. They need more men like you out there, and, and uh, giving it to them straight. Uh, I also read in uh, UTSA magazine a couple years ago. It talked about you were wearing. I don't see you because I'm here in Galveston. Two earrings in the left ear and tattoos. What's all that about? What's going on? <laughs> Well, I I used to wear the earrings. I don't anymore. I've grown oh, up a, just a little bit, <laughs> not a whole lot. Um, I do have I do have tattoos. Every one of my tattoos has um, some significance. Um, I do get tattoos. I don't go out and just say, "Hey, that looks cool." Um, so I do have tattoos with all my children's names on them. Um, I do have a tattoo with my stepson's name on it, uh, just to kind of show him that. Uh, you know that that stepdad stepson relationship is always really rocky you know so i wanted to make sure that he knew you know i'm here for the long haul i'm not just here to to hang out with mom for a little while and move on so you know they they have really deep meaning um a lot of them have to do with my military career and things like that but um everyone has a meaning and there's a story behind everyone and they all tell my story Did we do a shout-out to all your kids before we go? Um, well, I would like to give a shout-out to uh, 
Dylan, Draven, Logan, and Caden. Um, I don't know if they're all listening, but uh, that's they my, can hear the replay. That's my boys, and uh, I love them all. And any any special stories that you want to say about them and how they dealt with this issue? Because it's tough on the kids. You know, it, it's kind of a really different dynamic. The first three, Dylan, Draven, and Logan. You know, they knew me uh, prior to my injury, so they knew me with both legs. And then my my six year old, uh, Caden, he's only known me with one leg. Uh, so it's really kind of interesting to watch the dynamic between the different kids and see, you know, here's the three kids that knew me with both legs and now they know me after, and then here's the one that, that he's never seen both legs on dad except for the prosthetic. And uh, But it's really cool. He loves, to, he loves to try to get me in tag all the time because he's getting faster than me and he knows it. That's the bad part. Mark, go ahead. Last question for you. Uh, actually, we're just about ready for the music to begin. So uh, let me just thank Tony Doyle for being on the show, and we hope that you continue to inspire everybody uh, the way you've inspired me and uh, other Lions. And thank you, Mark, for thank you for having me on the show. Well, it's been it's been great having you, and uh, I'm glad we were able to serve together over there in Iraq at the same time. And uh, you know. Lots of blessings to your family and and, uh, and all the endeavors that you're uh, that you're going through right now and helping others. It's it's great attitude and keep it up. Uh, God bless you and and all the soldiers like you. And it's time to come to parade rest on this week's edition of AFSIA Military City USA Radio Show. Thanks to our guest, retired Sergeant Tony Doyle. Thank you for your service and for everything you're doing today for everyone. And we will be back next week with another edition of AFSIA Military City USA Radio. Hey, and as a prelude, uh, this year we're having an air show. It's going to be down at Kelly Field, and next week we'll be talking about the air show first Saturday in November. Remember, we know that freedom is not free. All of us in Military City USA salute and appreciate our military members, veterans, retirees, wounded warriors, and military families for all that you do and have done yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Please join us next week here on AFSIA, Military City USA Radio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 